Hey, welcome to Cohn and Kruger in our new time slot, 11 o'clock on Mondays. I'm Grant Cohn. That's Larry Kruger, who just passed 5,000 subscribers on YouTube. He's only had his channel for about three months. It's taking off. If you haven't subscribed already, subscribe to The Krug Show on YouTube. Larry, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. A new day, huh? We're going, we're going Mondays now. Going Mondays. Let's hit them right away. First thing in the week. I like it. Let's do uh, it. Yeah. And so what I want to talk about today is what Julian Edelman was talking about. Larry didn't see it. So I'm going to recap it for anyone who didn't see it. Julian Edelman went on this uh, I Am Player podcast with former NFL wide receiver Brandon Marshall and was asked about what Martellus Bennett said on that same podcast a few months ago. If you don't remember, Martellus Bennett went on there and just eviscerated Jimmy and just said, you know, he can't win with a bitch at quarterback was the exact quote. And he was saying that basically – you know, in 2016, when Brady was uh, suspended, Jimmy played a couple games, got hurt, was supposed to play in the third game, practiced all week, shut himself down like day of the game. And Jacoby had Brissett had to play with a torn ligament in his thumb. And I guess I guess essentially Jimmy lost the locker room that day. Their attitude was Tom would have played. You know, we're all hurt. What are you doing? Um, that was very interesting to me. I mean, what do you think of these like vets who were part of that team coming out and publicly being like, yeah, that's just didn't fly with us. What did Edelman, when he was asked about it, what did he say? He said, I, you know, I, I can understand why Marty would feel that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's football. And someone's like, well, well, was he really hurt? He's like, I mean, you were all hurt. It's football. I, I had broken ribs. You, you, you shoot this up. You, you sacrifice to play, and he didn't do it. So Jacoby had to because Jacoby was hurt too. I mean, maybe they're wrong. It just seemed interesting that the whole locker room seemed pretty – he said, like, you know, there were a lot of guys who were, who were pissed. I was angry, frankly, and here's why. Maybe they've made up since then and, and worked it out, but clearly to me it seemed like Jimmy was never going to lead that team. Well, it's interesting because he did play hurt with the 49ers. Yes, he did last year. And, and he played, I would say, pretty well as far as I didn't see a dramatic drop-off from the way he normally played to when he was hurt. So I'm not sure exactly what to make of that other than, you know, I, I, I definitely feel like when you lose the room, uh, it's time to go. But, you know, who knows? I mean, a lot of that speculation, a lot of times there's a lot of personal animosity between players that have, you know, and the reasons for the for the animosity always get kind of camouflaged in other excuses. So I'm not sure what to believe there. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem like they have an axe to grind. It just seems like they looked at him as a backup that they didn't necessarily have to treat with respect. Now, Jimmy never necessarily lost the locker room with the 49ers, but they traded for Trey, Lance, for Trey Lance. And I think it kind of gets glossed over why the Niners were out on Jimmy Garoppolo. And I, Although he did play through injuries last year. Remember 2020? I mean, he had a high ankle sprain and never came back. And I think, you know, a lot of people were injured that year. It was like the year of the injuries. Kittle came back. Jimmy Ward came back. A lot of people came back for meaningless games at the end and Jimmy didn't. And I don't know how, I wonder if we'll ever find out how people really felt about that because once he's gone and they start winning without him and they can prove to themselves, they don't need him anymore. Maybe there'll be some vets who talk like Martellus Bennett and Julian Edelman all of a sudden, like, yeah, you know, we didn't really appreciate it when he was practicing at the end of 2020, but not playing. I wonder. And there was also week four against Seattle this year when he got hurt and then went into halftime and then apparently alerted the coaches at the end of halftime when they were walking back out to the field that he wasn't going to play anymore. That's what Kyle said. 
Mm. Those are those are all interesting. I would I would say this too. The when the when the 49ers shut him down and he didn't come back, <clears throat> my read on that at the time was that they were concerned about him getting hurt and their inability to move him. And that, you know, it's it's almost impossible to move a hurt player in the NFL. So I I kind of read this that into it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, maybe that that might have been uh, the I always get the felt feeling that the, the club had as much say on that as Jimmy did. But maybe I'm I was reading that wrong from the outside. It's possible. I just remember at the time making a big deal about Kittle coming back. And I said he shouldn't come back. He should practice his little heart out, but not play. And Kittle was like, hey, Grant, I remember publicly. Was like, I heard what you I saw what you wrote. And I am going to play, I'm going to play my little heart out and do it just for you. And I remember the team was making a big thing. Like we're football players. This is what we do. I don't, it doesn't matter if we're eliminated from playoffs. This is what we do. We play football. We come back and play. And I wonder if that was like, well, your quarterback isn't necessarily doing that. So are there like two different standards here? Or are you taking a, a kind of a, are you sneak dissing your quarterback to say, to use what, what kids would say? Are you sort of implying that your quarterback isn't being a tough football player? Cause that's a sense. That's, that's exactly what Julian Edelman and, and Martellus Bennett said of that version of Jimmy Garoppolo five years ago. Well, you know, the, here's the one thing about the NFL, and there's no, there's a little saying in football. Every, you know, you get to a certain point in the year. Maybe it's week five. Maybe it's week eight. Maybe it's week ten. Everybody's, everybody's hurt. Tell me when you're injured. Right. Kind of a thing. So you know, everybody's got something they're playing with after, you know, four or five weeks of football. Uh, but, you know, don't play. You play if you're hurt. Don't play if you're injured. Yeah. And that's and that's a that's a personal thing. I see what you mean. What's interesting is this was week three. Yeah. And the Patriots, the Patriots just were a very veteran team that was used to Tom Brady. And I guess they looked at Jimmy Garoppolo and he failed the first test. And that was it. That was it. And they still remember. It's amazing because I feel like the Niners look at him in a totally different way, although they are replacing him, too. And the injuries followed him. And that's kind of a you can't talk about Jimmy Garoppolo's career. It seems like anywhere without talking about the injuries. The injuries are a big part of his story. Did he shut himself down at the end of 2020? We'll never know. Did he shut himself down at the end of the uh, first half of the Seattle game this year? We'll never know. And isn't that inconsistent with what we saw this year with a guy playing with, you know, shoulder and thumb and all kinds of injuries? Yeah, he definitely gets credit for that. Two different injuries. Juice Man Jeremy says best camp, uh, best battle at camp going to be Sermon versus TDP for that RB2 spot. See, that that battle happens in preseason when there's tackling, in my opinion. Don't I, – I think that may be an uh, incorrect take. It might be TDP versus Mitchell for the starting spot. Ooh, could be. I mean, you when know, you take a running back – all in the mix. Three, yeah. Then we take a running back that high, you figure he should be in the mix. Dre Barry says Edelman should focus on staying off the wow. <laughs> was he pop for that? I guess he was. was he? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm not sure if he knewingly, if he was knowingly or unknowingly or what it was, but yes. That's, That's true. I'm just proud of him because he's Jewish and he's from the Bay. Go <laughs> I've interviewed his dad. His dad's awesome, man. Owns his own uh, auto body shop on the peninsula. That's really cool. All right, yeah. let's talk about Jimmy a little bit more because this might be the last month that he's on the team. You said last week you think he's going to the Browns. You also said you think Mayfield's coming back to the Niners. <laughs> I agree with the first part. I do think that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to end up on the Browns, but it seems like this whole thing, again, is – its I mean, they're waiting on Jimmy Garoppolo to start throwing, and according to all reports, he's uh, right on schedule. He's going to start throwing in, in July soon. Um, 
But doesn't this all kind of depend on the NFL making up their mind and making a decision and announcing something with Deshaun Watson? I mean, it, it sounds like uh, Deshaun like the NFL is going to push for a season-long suspension for Watson. At so um, in some ways, you know, I, I think it would almost behoove the Browns to make the deal beforehand. Hmm. Right. If, 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 if all of a sudden the decision comes down on Watson and they're staring at uh, Jacoby Brissett, then all of a sudden maybe the price tag for Jimmy goes up. So I, maybe that deal goes down. Maybe it's important for the Browns to actually make the deal before the decision. So it doesn't look like they're reacting to it. Here's what could happen though. Let's say he doesn't get suspended for the full year. Let's say they're pushing for it, but it only, it's only 12 games. Now his contract doesn't toll. Now he's got a $10 million cap number for this year. I'm, I'm, the Browns could probably pay for all that, but now it's becoming more expensive. If he's suspended for the whole year, he doesn't get paid in 2022. There's no cap number, nothing. And they could definitely afford Jimmy Garoppolo. I, that's the one thing that could give them pause to do it before the NFL makes their decision. Does the Watson contract in a suspension situation just freeze and then go the next year it starts? It, it, they and, call it tolling. So like whatever his cap number would be this year and his base salary, that's next year. And yeah. in August, so essentially it's like a it's a five year deal, and this year he gets nothing if he gets suspended the whole year. Yes. They wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I gotta think that the Browns knew that that was a possibility when they made the trade. Big possibility. Um, so. You know, and it came out this week. Well, they're you know they're going to go with Jacoby Brissett instead of Baker Mayfield. Well, we know they're not going with Baker Mayfield. Maybe they asked Marcellus Bennett and Julian Edelman what they would do on that. (laughs) Exactly, (laughs) exactly. But what do you think? (laughs) They were never going with Baker Mayfield because Baker Mayfield wasn't going with them uh, as soon as they made that deal. So, I saw you suggest a three-way deal. Uh, would Baker to Seattle, Jimmy to uh, was it was it the Browns, and then the 49ers would get something back in return? Yes, yes, yeah. I mean that. I, yeah, I, I think the Browns are the logical fit. I think I really do. I think I think the Browns yeah. are the logical fit more so than uh, Carolina, more so definitely more so than Seattle. I think anything anything that keeps him from Seattle probably makes. Uh, John Lynch happy. That would be my, yeah, that'd be my guess. Is, I think Baker's going to Seattle. I think Baker's better than Jimmy. And what's crazy with Jimmy is like he's going to – him and Joku would be a good pairing. Joku's a hell of a player. But Amari? Amari's like Ayuk. To me, Jimmy, it's not going to really take advantage of Amari. Amari runs outside the numbers and deep, and if you bring him over the middle like John Gruden tried to do, you just get him hurt. I don't know. I'm curious to see how that's going to work. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think the Brown the Browns have some young receivers too. They I mean, they they, they you know they they've kind of changed their receiving core around. They had veterans, now they've got a bunch of young guys. Um, Najoku's got talent, but he's never really done it. They spent a lot on their offensive line. They yeah. spent an awful lot of money on their football team. I don't know where they sit in the on the uh, spending, but I mean, it's got to be pretty yeah. high. Yeah. I they're pretty deep everywhere. Their D line's pretty deep. Their secondary's pretty deep. So, what do you get? What do you get in return for Jimmy? What's the price tag here? I want JOK. I want Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa, which Niner fans oh. will say, "Why?" I mean, you already stacked at linebacker. I know, but I, I just personal favorite of mine. But That's I mean. Smart. I see what you're saying. Go player, because that way it's not a PR hit, right? If you just take a sixth round pick back, it looks bad. But if it's a player, who knows what that player would be worth as a pick, right? It just maybe it's a former first round pick that you're getting, something like that. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there's no there's no obvious fit for Jimmy. I mean, what 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 position would what would you say? You know, without knowing what the Browns have to trade, Nickel. what safety. what Nickel. safety? 
Guard, center. Grant, Grant Delpit. Well, they just got rid of J.C. Treader, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They have and Wyatt Teller, I think. Treader just wrote an article for – I think he's really high, uh, uh, he's really powerful with the NFL Players Association. He just wrote an article this offseason saying that agents should push for fully guaranteed contracts for all players. Maybe he's getting blackballed. <laughs> Tears are like, what? How dare you? <laughs> Take it back. I don't the, know. Anyway, Nick, Har- Nick Harris is the Browns center. Wyatt Teller is their right guard. Wyatt Teller. Okay. Well, yeah, but again, if, if the Niners could get a player for Jimmy Garoppolo, that'd be that would be that would probably make sense. I don't know who they would get though. Not a running back. Not Nick. Chubb. Maybe maybe a corner. They get Denzel Ward. They get Greg Newsom. They get Greedy Williams. They just drafted Martin Emerson. I'd take any of those guys. I'd love to get Greg Newsom. Sure. Nickelback. Nickel I mean, the one spot where the 49ers, if, let's be honest about the Niners offseason. The one spot where it makes you go, hmm, have they replaced this guy at all? And that is nickel. Yeah. Where, you know, they the Browns are slated to start Greg Newsom, the second, who was a first round pick in 2021. Um, that would be a very nice addition, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, who's who's replacing K1? Do we know? Garoppolo. Yeah, exactly. What they get for him in a trade. James Hennessy says that energy that injury that he didn't play on Patriots could also be that Jimmy hadn't had his payday in 2017 when he left the locker room, still liked him. All right. Well, we'll see. I just Speculation. thought it was Yeah. Bosa going to slap around Baker like Pac did Snoop Dogg. <laughs> uh, I don't remember that. That was a long time ago. Murphy says, if Jimmy is on the Browns, I could see the Browns and Jimmy having a better season than the Niners and Lance. That would be hilarious. What do you think? I, I think it, I think it's I think it's uh, viable. I mean, l- look at what the Browns have. Um, the Bra- I like David Bell, the Purdue receiver. They have Peoples Jones. They have Amari Cooper. They got a pretty damn good offensive line. You've got you know yeah, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. They just drafted Jerome Ford out of Cincinnati. They got weapons. They got Najoku. They got Harrison Bryant. Two tight ends. I mean, there's this that Browns offense is ready to roll. And then They're defensively. Yeah, and defensively, yeah. look what you got. You got they brought back Clowney, so they've got yeah. they've got Clowney and, and Miles Garrett. Yep. They drafted Perry on Winfrey, they got Jordan Elliott, and then they got a pretty decent fast linebacking core, and their and their secondary is pretty deep as well. Their so, secondary yeah. is excellent. Denzel yeah, Ward, Grant Telpit, John Johnson, Greedy Williams, great. Richard I mean, LeCount is a good player from Georgia, AJ yeah. Green. Just a bunch of top end talent in that secondary. Yeah, that's a good uh good team. Browns are pretty good. Yeah. So Niners got to think about that. Um, we got one more, I think. No, we don't. Uh, let's move on. Last Jimmy topic. We just discussed how his season could unfold uh, if he's with the Browns next year. How do you think Jimmy's career will unfold from this point on? How does the Jimmy G story end? Because it was a very magical start. I think he won 16 of his first 18 starts. Thank you. I think he's going to be exactly what he is because as far as he has no downfield passing ability and that's not on Kyle. That's not on the Niner receivers. That's on him. I think it's uh, his, five of 30 beyond 30 yards for his career with five picks, five, yeah. five picks. Come on. And then somebody posted, I don't know if it was you or somebody posted all third, all of his, you know, downfield passing throws. And I went, yeah, I went, I went through and looked at it and I was like, wow. I mean, this is there's just nothing there. There's just no when they maybe he hit, maybe he hit two receivers down the field in stride all year. Yeah, yeah. And what's funny is they try to call those in training camp to sort of at least practice it or get 
awful, even worse. I mean, there'd be someone who'd just throw it as high as you could be like, what happened? But yeah, he can't hit people in stride. I don't know what that is. But I mean, I don't know. Did the Niners think he could when they traded for him? Were they disappointed in that? Because I'm not sure he ever showed that in even even in New England or, or in college. Well, he first of all, he didn't play. First of all, nobody, none of us watched his college. Second of all, he barely played in New England. Right. Then everybody's so enamored with with his quick release, which he does have, and he's so more so much more accurate um, underneath and in the intermediate range that it was like, well, at downfield okay. accuracy, you know, NFL is more of a short passing league anyway. It's no big deal. But then when you demonstrate over time that you cannot make the throws deep and outside the numbers at all. Guess what happens? Guys start to cheat in and that, then all of a sudden the book's out and now you're late over the middle and then you got a bunch of defensive backs who are cheating in late in the down and it's pick city. And we saw it firsthand. So I don't, the same way Kaepernick kind of just ended after the uh, double pick six against Arizona, where guys just dropped and read his eyes. I think Jimmy's downfield game is gone forever. I don't, I don't think there's anything there because I don't think he can make those throws. I feel like Jimmy is on the precipice of what happened to J- uh, Jeff Garcia when he left the Niners. I think it's going to be bad for Jimmy. I think Jimmy was in the best situation possible. Great play caller who did everything to mask his weaknesses. We had Debo Samuel, George Kittle, this run game. It's not going to be that perfect when he goes to the next place. And no team's going to be that invested in him. I think what's going to happen is he's going to disappoint. He's not going to win the way he won here. And he's probably going to get hurt again. And he's going to be a backup soon, I think. I think this can be the last season that he goes into the season as a starter, if he does go into the season as a starter this year. Uh, and then he's going to have – I want to see, is he going to – how is he going to react to being looked at as a backup. Like Jeff Garcia grinded and got back and, and became, got another opportunity to start when he was older. Does Jimmy want to do that? Does Jimmy love football like that? Or is he going to look at his bank account and be like, man, I got $100 million. I'm 30 years old. I've gotten hurt a bunch. I'm a backup. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm really curious to see what happens. I think the 49ers are the greatest collection of run-after-the-catch receivers in the league right now. And so when you have those kind of run-after-the-catch receivers, and you know, tight end, wide receiver, running back, you can throw short. So I think Shanahan's frustration has to come with, with that, the fact that he had the perfect you know, uh, group of guys to surround Jimmy with, and Jimmy still couldn't make it happen. So I, then he's going to go to a new place. They're not going to have all those run-after-the-catch guys. He's going to have to actually throw the ball down the field, and I think he's going to get exposed. Exposed. Yeah, I think so, too. And again, I want to see what if he hits that that stage of his career like Jeff Garcia or Ryan Tannehill, where you were a starter, but people don't believe in you anymore. Um, what happens? Are you going to grind it out as a backup or not? Someone's at my front door. Can you carry the show for like five seconds? I'll be right sure. back. What's the hell sure. is going on? I'll be right back. <laughs> Sorry. We're talking about Jimmy Garoppolo. And Jimmy, that that stands out when I think about Jimmy is I think of a guy who is really gets rid of it quickly. And really is a guy who, um, you know, I, I, th- I think makes a lot of mistakes when he's forced to extend the down. Every time we always talk to Greg Cosell, Greg Cosell would always make sure he would say, Jimmy's not a late in the down thrower. And what Greg means by that is just that, you know, a lot of times quarterbacks will free themselves up. They'll sprint right or left. They'll uh, clear out an open space and they'll allow their receivers to work open down the field. Then you have to deliver the ball down the field. Um, and oftentimes it's, it's quite a bit down the field. You're talking about 30, 40 yards down the field. That's not his strength. That's not his strength. His strength, I think, is to is to get the ball out and play in rhythm. One, two, three, out. 
the ball comes out. You throw it short to Debo, short to Ayuk, short to Kittle, short to a running back, and they make plays after that. I think you put Jimmy in a fun in a in a traditional NFL offense where there's not all that run after the catch, and now you're he's waiting for things to happen down the field. Well, you have to step into those throws and deliver a strong throw. I don't see that. I don't see that as his strength. I was just kind of going, you know, you know, going off a little bit more on the fact that this is not a downfield thrower outside the numbers. Grant that this guy's this guy's existed a lot on run after the catch ability of his receivers, and I think. Yeah almost anywhere he goes. I, I was thinking, what would be the perfect receiving group for Jimmy? 49ers. It's the 49ers. <laughs> the it's, 49ers. Uh, it's the 49ers and Shanahan. Not even close. That's why, I'm, again, I am I am shorting Jimmy Garoppolo and the rest of his career. I'm betting against him because he was in the best situation. They gave him the best. They gave him a top five defense. They gave him a top five running game. They gave him all the yak specialists in the world. He couldn't do it. Yeah, it's it, it, it's. it's <laughs> Hold on, no problem. On. I'll tell you the other thing that we saw is that in the in the Super Bowl when there was pressure on him in that you know when Kansas City got pressure on him, it was he starts to backpedal and make disastrous plays. I mean, we don't talk about it every. It's amazing when you think about the Super Bowl. We talk endlessly about the pass that wasn't connected to Emmanuel Sanders. But Jimmy's real screw up in that Super Bowl came in the first half when Chris Jones was in his face and he should have just tucked it in and taken the sack. And instead, with Jones in his face, backpedaling, about to get buried, he threw some duck to the sidelines, which was easily picked. That was the illustrate. That was the 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 game the the play in that Super Bowl that lost the game, not the Emmanuel Sanders incompletion. I was saying how the everybody talks about that Sanders incompletion in the second yeah. half in the bowl, but nobody talks about the interception in the first half when he had Chris. Jones in his face and he should have just eaten it instead he floated a terrible duck to the sidelines and it was picked easily his eyes were closed that was that was a horrendous play there are pictures of that interceptions his eyes are closed when he lets the ball go it was like a you call it a no look pass or you call it a (laughs) no look pass yeah real quick what just happened this is a new home I have I bought a house this month and that was congrats thanks that was the uh fire department coming by you got to check stuff with your house right you ever have that Hey, we got to check, see if you're compliant. Got to go around, check the vegetation. You so. got the, uh, you got the right, uh, you know, what's what's the thing that beeps? Uh, you know, make sure you know, make sure you're not going to die in the middle of the night from poisoning or whatever. Yeah, all that stuff. Well, I guess he was making sure, like, I'm not a, the house isn't the fire. Up to code, fire. Anyway, I had to get. Are you that. up to code? Are you up to code? I am. I passed. Look at that. I am. But I had to get that. I mean, that was important. He he rang the doorbell twice. That's how I knew he wasn't messing around. He's like, I'm not leaving. I I didn't invite him. Get they start kicking down the door. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> This is important. All right. Uh, hold on. James says Jimmy won't have time to learn the Browns playbook. I mean, you give him all the time in the world. He's I, I'm sorry. He's not exactly a cerebral player. Just kind of give it, make it simple, and he can hit the. And he's he a throws three quarterback. He's a veteran quarterback, though. I mean, I mean, come on. I think Kyle's playbook is probably way deeper and more difficult to learn than the Browns playbook. He throws well, twenty-four passes a game. They're like the same three routes. He'll be fine. You're not asking him to do anything he hasn't done. It's just new words. The one thing about the Browns that you know that the Browns have that other teams don't have is they have an overwhelming running game with a bunch of different running backs. So they can kind of put get Jimmy on a pitch count and just run Chubb and run Hunt. They could. Uh, I listened to Jock Peterson the other day, and he reminds me of Nick Bosa, super quiet for the press, has all Niners. 
a little bit, yeah, with like a dry sense of humor, although he's funnier than Bosa and he's from the Bay Area, which I am partial. That's right, Palo Alto High. Yeah, Pally High. He's the I've one guy about- that, he's the one fun guy to watch on the Giants right now, Jock Peterson. Yep. Pally High must be the most gorgeous high school in the country. I mean, it looks like it's Stanford. It's right next to Stanford. It's right there. All Niner says, what are the chances Jimmy retires? Good question. No. I wonder how long he'll be in the league. He's got so much money. Does he really love football? Maybe he does. We shall see. Love the I don't think you really think he I don't think I don't see him retiring right now. Do Not you? Now, but no. I, I, is he gonna be in the league when he's 35? I would say no. I, I would say so. no. I don't think so. Uh James Hennessy says, Who takes a chance on a 30-year-old quarterback? A desperate team like Cleveland that has no options and put themselves in a pretty precarious situation. I guess a team a team that's other choices, Jacoby Brissett or Sam Darnold, maybe. Yes. All right. Moving on. Um, what will define success for Trey Lance? Now, this is a question that I, I think is interesting because I, for all of the Lance discussion, I don't think I've ever heard anybody actually say what will define success in this in this first year as the starter for him. I mean, is it is it about a record? Is it about? I mean, for the for the Niner fans, I think it's about the record. I think it's about the record, even though, you know, nobody wanted to hear the, you know, the Niners record with Jimmy, the Niners record with the backups. But I think ultimately, if Trey Lance is playing just OK, but the team is 10 and 2. Wow, he's awesome. Mm-hmm. If Trey Lance is playing really, really good um, and efficient football, smart football, uh, but the team is closer to, you know, 500. I think there'll be people that will be saying it's not successful. So I, I think his success is tied to their record and not necessarily his. I think there'll be people that will be able to uh, justify whatever he does on the field if the record is good. So I think it's tied to the record. I think it's more complicated than that. I think I'm going to go back to what you said at the beginning. No one's really defined it. I think that's on purpose. I think. There's a lot of people that have with, with an axe to grind against him. People that have said he's a bust. People that said he, they, Niner shouldn't draft him. There's a, these are national people too, not just local uh, fans and, and media people. I think a lot of people want to see him fail. So if he wins but his numbers aren't good, they're going to point to his numbers not being good. If his numbers are good but he's not winning, somehow he's going to be the at, at fault. I think the goal, the goalposts are going to move a lot, and you're going to see people attack him unless he it has like a Patrick Mahomes type rookie season. I think he's in a tough spot. In terms of this perception, well, to me, I think it comes down to two things. Does he does he flash big time ability, even if it's not consistent? Does he flash big time ability and what's their record? Right. If he flashes big time ability and their record is good, I think people are going to say that's success. If he flashes big time ability and their record is bad, I think that will be in between. If he doesn't flash the big time ability and there's all kinds of inconsistency and the record is close to 500, people will say it's on him. But I think what I'm trying to say is that like reasonable people will do what you're saying. But to me, like he's a lightning rod, Trey Lance, for whatever reason. And a lot of people are very like worked up one way or another. And I think some people will be very hard-pressed to praise him. And I think you're going to have two different narratives around him. The narrative that, you know, he's doing well for his stage in his career and the narrative that he's not good enough, he's not worth what the Niners gave up, they never should have got rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. I think you're going to have two camps. It's going to be – it feels like people – like the Jimmy Garoppolo camp isn't going away. And they just took a lot of 
crap the last couple of years and they're waiting to get revenge. Maybe I'm reading into this incorrect. I do think you're reading into it because I think, well, okay, let me just say this. I think Trey is going to demonstrate, and this is just my own prediction. I just think he's going to demonstrate right away that he's better than Jimmy. And so I think there's going to be a lot more right. limited and com- the, the comparisons are not, are not going to be as strong because I think Trey's going to demonstrate that he's better than Jimmy. And I think the overwhelming um, theory among 49er fans and media will be that Trey is better than Jimmy. So I'm I not, I, maybe I'm, maybe I've got too high a thought about Trey. I, I thought he demonstrated it last year too. I mean, when he, Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt in Tennessee and then didn't play against Houston, which was also kind of strange. Uh, Trey Lance came in and just a little rocky at first, but essentially by from the end of the first half on obliterated Houston, put up some of the best numbers that any quarterback put up against that defense all year. I thought he showed it right there. It was a second start. But again, the Niners were like, ah, you know, Jimmy, we got to go. He's the vet. We got to let him finish this. He gives us a – so I, I just wonder, you know, how what, how much does Trey have to show? I think he's shown a lot. Jimmy never shows anything. Jimmy shows throws the same freaking passes all the time, throws the same interception all the time, but the Niners win. So, again, if he doesn't – his numbers aren't great. If, if Trey Lance could put up better numbers and not win and people blame him when we've talked about it all offseason, the offensive line isn't as good. The, sec, the, the, the nickelback position isn't as good. It's arguable whether they got better this offseason. I would love to. I'd love to go back to. I wish we could do this. Go back to halftime Twitter of the Houston game. Oh, it was not. Do you remember, do you remember what I it do was? I remember that. I remember he threw an interception in the first half, and people were losing their minds. And I tweeted, you know, uh, <laughs> he didn't see the guy on the, on, on the interception every game. Like relax. Wasn't it like a back shoulder throw that he didn't see? He didn't. He lost track of a defender. It'll, he was throwing a kittle. He just he the hook defender got deep, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I mean, I, I, at halftime of that game, the offense is sputtering. Yep. They haven't done anything. Nothing. Did they have any points on the board at half? They might or have they, had three. Yeah, they might have had three. I mean, they. Yeah. I, I just remember seeing people saying, like, you know, oh my god, Jimmy, Joe, doll, oh my god, Jimmy's so great, Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. And then the but second then the half, second half, it was like the Trey, defense wasn't on the field. It was like. Trey right. can do it three once. Yeah, I thought Trey also bought time. I thought the I thought the Niner O line in that game got handed their lunch by the Niner by the Texan defensive front, and Trey was running for his life. I, if you go back to watch that second half, I thought he had a number of you know plays that would have been blown up in the backfield if it was Jimmy. Instead, Trey got away and made a play. I think what we're going to see quickly is that Trey is among the best, if not the best, quarterback in the league at avoiding pressure on his own. I mean, he's got the quickness of a much smaller person, and he's huge. He's really strong. That's kind of Mahomes-like. He's Think about bigger, Mahomes. He's stronger than Mahomes. I, yeah, but I agree. I think he's going to have that kind of uh, ability to just escape. Just like, to is Mahomes away. a runner? Nah, not really, no, but he can escape. Like yep. And Trey, I think, is the yep. exact kind of thing. He's yep. Is he a runner? He's not a runner in the Lamar Jackson sense, yep. but he's a runner in the Mahomes sense in that he can escape, and then he's got the big arm to, to make a play down the field. Yeah. And he's quicker than Mahomes. He's faster than Mahomes. He's stronger than Mahomes. I mean, he's got the, the idea of Trey Lance is great. I hope, I hope he can get there. And you know, we'll see if not playing him last year was the way to go. But uh, what will be what will define success for Trey Lance? I think you got to be realistic. He's twenty two, so you can't write him off if he has a year like 
Peyton Manning had when he was 22 or Josh Allen. I mean, Andrew Luck was in college at 22. I, I think we all expect Trey Lance to be much better because he's been here for a year and he has a good team around him. But there's probably going to be moments when he does look like a 22-year-old. Um, to me, it's also about turnovers, too, because he didn't turn the ball over in college. And it, can he continue that trend in the NFL? Can he continue to take care of the football, set the protections and not turn it over? If he's if he plays mistake free football and doesn't turn it over a ton, but they don't win a lot of games, I think that will be viewed as success. So I think there's a I think people are going to I think he's going to be judged harshly by some and really loosely by the people who want him to succeed. So there is going to be the two, there's going to be the two like, well, he's not doing this. He's not doing that. And there's going to be other people going, Hey man, you have no perspective. He's only played this and he's shown this. And so I think it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a debate. It's an ongoing debate. Cause wasn't that what it was like with Jimmy? There were some people that were like, Hey, he won. Hey, he's completion percentage. I mean, he's, you got to get including people on his own team and other people that were like, man, this guy is the worst player in the field. They're winning in spite of him. I mean, there was a, always a weekly debate. What like, did Jimmy, was Jimmy responsible for this win or not? Or was Jimmy responsible for this loss or not? That was always, it was always a big debate. And I think that that's now it's just going to flip. To me, there was the 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 thing about Garoppolo was always like hope, hope, hope until we got into that first playoff game, and then all of a sudden you saw Kyle's reaction to his play with "We're just going to run the ball, we're just going to run the hell out of it," and then you start to look around, going, "Well, wait a second, does Kyle have confidence in him? Does Kyle believe in him? Um, you know, why are they running the ball like so much against Minnesota and Green Bay? Then he gets to the Super Bowl, he's forced to throw it." And he had some of the, you know, I just described that interception in the first half. We, you know, he, he, he needed to make four or five big throws in that game and he didn't make them. Joshua Wyatt says the deep ball got objectively worse over time. Is it possible? Jimmy had bum shoulder from day one and the surgery is actually a much bigger deal. Possible. I also think it's partly mental. I mean, he missed that throw to Emmanuel Sanders in the, in the Super Bowl in front of everyone. That's, that's how most casual Football fans that don't root for the Niners remember Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't think he's ever gotten over that. Well, I mean, let's talk about Jimmy, too. Close your eyes and picture Jimmy throwing the ball. He does not step into his throws. Not at all. He flicks it. He yep. flicks it, and that's his. That's the key to his quick release. Yep. Is he? Had, there's no footwork tied to it, but that also means that your deep ball is going to hang. And guess what? His deep ball consistently hangs. It certainly does. Jacob Mayhew says Jimmy has the quarterback IQ of a high schooler. Trey going to shut everyone up, including the former racist scout BTW. Yeah, it's proven now, Grant. Trey going to go off. Woo! Yeah, I do think that Trey's going to show a much higher football IQ and a much higher understanding of the offense and turn it over less. Also, hey, if you guys like, even if you do a super chat asking me who I'm working with and who I'm not working with, I'm not going to answer because I'm not trying to gossip about people I've collaborated, collaborated with. Whether or not I'm working with them anymore, I wish them all success and all the best. And I hope you continue to watch them and support them. That's all I'm going to say about that. Moving on. Do you think it's better to play or sit key players in the preseason, especially for the 49ers? Um, Who won the Super Bowl? The Rams. Who doesn't play guys at all in the preseason? The Rams. Yeah. 
And I think that should be learned from. I mean, it, we all should, we're all con- consistent. You know, it, there's an evolution to the whole thing. And it's the copycat league for a reason. And if you do something and it works, guess what? Teams copy you. And I think that is one thing where the 49ers ought to copy um, the Rams. Why? Because they've added a 17th game to the season. If you listen to Trey, um, to, uh, to Trent Williams talk at the mini camp, I thought one of the most interesting quotes was when he kind of very uh, candidly spoke to us about how his body felt different just because of the one added football game. And so the, we think of him as, ah, it's just an extra game. But every game, there's only so many games in these players' bodies. And there's you got to be able to recover. So you, you got to play your best football in January if you want to win the Super Bowl. So what you do in August probably doesn't matter. So, yeah, do you need to find your football team? Do you need to discover who's on there and who's not going to be on there? Yeah, but do that in the practices, do that in in your drills, do that before the preseason as much as you can and sit your key guys in the preseason and guarantee that by week one, you're showing up with a full arsenal. That's what McVay does, and I think it benefits them. Think about the Niners in the 80s with Walsh and Seifert in the 90s. They always showed up in the playoffs with their full complement of players for the most part, and they were very easy on their players in camp compared to most teams of in that era. So I, I just really believe that that resting players early is a real key to them being fresh late. I mean, and that applies to the practices too, because I've seen a lot of non-contact injuries in training camp. I, I heard a coach say one time, you can't win games in the off season, but you damn sure can lose them. And you lose games in the off season by getting your own players hurt and you know, non-game settings. I mean, it's one thing if one of your key players gets hurt in a game. You can't avoid that. But as a coach, you certainly can't avoid the preseason injury, the practice injury. How? By not practicing them, not playing them in the preseason. I mean, it is a 17-game season, 18 weeks, plus the playoffs, no bye week, I guess. But for, for most teams, it, it it's not smart to play these guys in the preseason. It's like, that's Kittle, Trent Williams, I mean, that's what the Niners did last year, right? Select players. Yeah. Kevin I mean, Fagan back in the day had a stool that he brought to practice, a stool. He sat there and sat, sat on a stool, and he was one of the badass players of his era. So why did he have a stool at practice? Because he had chronic knee problems going back to Miami, and they they wanted to preserve him. And guess what? They had him. They had Kevin Fagan in those postseason runs, and they won. So sit your best players, especially at positions like tight end, where there's a dramatic drop-off between Kittle and whoever's coming next. Sit Kittle. Don't let Kittle practice as much as he wants to. Also sit Lance. Lance broke his finger in the preseason last year playing behind the second team offensive line, and that's a bunch of guys who are, you know, end up on the practice squad or not in the league at all. Uh, Don't play Trey Lance. God forbid he gets hurt in the preseason again. Yeah, I mean, there's a few guys I would sit. I mean, I would sit anybody where I'm not fortified behind them. I'm sitting Kinlaw because I don't know who's sitting behind Kinlaw. I'm sitting Jimmy Ward because I don't know, or and Hafanga because I don't know who's playing behind them. I'm, you know, I'm sitting Verrett because of his history. Um, there's a number of guys. Debo, I'm sitting. Ayuk, I'm sitting. Um, Trent Williams, I'm sitting. I mean, I have to have Trent Williams out there if I've got Trey out there, but I'm sitting Trent as much as I possibly can. Murphy asks, didn't see the Wilson Mahomes escapability at all from Lance. 
Saw capability to run, but not really escapability in the pocket. Also, praying his inability to get the ball out quickly was just an experience. Huh. I saw the opposite. Uh, I saw the opposite, too. Kaepernick's faster than Trey Lance when they get to full stride. At least that's what I saw. Um, but I don't know. I thought Cap was pretty not he was not elusive in the pocket i felt he was pretty much a sitting duck until he was at full speed oh yeah he was he he, he was dynamic on the kaepernick was dynamic on the run yeah. but he didn't even have brady's ability to move within the pocket no. and he's 10 times the athlete as far as being a foot athlete i saw you go back to that second half of the texans game and look at that again and tell me that trey didn't do an incredible job of moving and you know sidestepping defenders you know who had a free free run at him and extending the down and keeping his eyes downfield. So I, I think that I think he kind of flip-flopped that. Rob Martin says, don't forget wide open misses to juice in Tennessee. Trey will succeed and lead us to glory because of what's between the ears, physical talent, a bonus. Yeah, I like that. And that's basically what the Niners, the, the vets have said about him is like Trent Williams in particular. What's most impressive about him is his makeup. And that's what's going to differentiate him from every other young gifted quarterback. That's that's what he said. And I, I can see that. I agree. I agree. And then that's in that I'll say this, that is consistent with the, 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 the road scouts that I know who went in and saw him at North Dakota state the last couple of years, they said, you know what, this kid between the ears, this kid's work ethic, this kid's mental makeup and maturity is off the charts. The physical stuff is really, really good, but what really separates him is his love for the, the whole process of pro football. Joshua Wyatt asks, what is the Niners' plan if Trey gets injured behind this offensive line? It looks like on the surface like they are riding off the season and betting on 2023. Yeah, I don't think they necessarily have a plan uh, if he goes down, unless Jimmy Garoppolo stays in the team, which I don't expect. And I kind of yeah. agree with what you're saying on that one. Not riding it off, but sort of like saying whatever happens, happens, basically, and we're okay with anything. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of in the same boat they were a couple of years ago where they have a starter and they don't have a great backup. But I actually have great confidence in what we're going to see out of Purdy. So I mean, I feel like Purdy's going to going to show people that they actually have an alternative in a pinch. All right, let's get off uh, quarterback spot. Javon Kinlaw is working his way back from a complete ACL reconstruction. He's been showing his workouts and his recovery and it seems like he's going to be ready for training camp um if he goes down at any point what happens to this defense i mean how do they stop the runs right up the middle if they don't have javon kinlock because again they lost dj jones as well this is this is um i think that going to be a going to be a potential problem because Kinlaw has never demonstrated that he could stay healthy and Ridgeway is the only guy they got behind him uh, at that, at that run plugger spot. I mean, they got other guys there. Um, they've got Kerry Hyder, but Kerry Hyder is not a, not a two gapper. Uh, they got Mo Hurst. Mo Hurst is not a two gapper. He, he's going to, he's going to hit a gap and go. Givens is more of a penetrator. Uh, Kalia Davis maybe is that guy, but I don't, think he's going to be ready to roll so they're going into this camp with Kinlaw needing to play and needing to play like DJ Jones he needs to show up he needs to play with leverage he needs to shut down that inside run if Every Kinlaw game. goes off to me it's like one of the biggest questions of the year if Kinlaw goes off and becomes this incredible player uh the 49ers could take a step forward on the defense but if he can't stay on the field and they start getting gashed in the a gaps 
I think the whole defense breaks down. So I, I would not be surprised as deep as their D line looks right now, the con- the concept of going outside this team for reinforcements, I think that's going to be viable if Kinlaw goes down. I think that's what we're going to see. They're going to have to go outside what they have to fortify that D tackle spot, which yeah, is shocking that- considering how deep they've been. Agreed. What's the best way to shut down Nick Bosa as a pass rusher? Run the ball up the middle. Run the ball. Run the ball. Run the ball right up the middle. I mean, Bosa's not even involved in that. Up the A-gap. And what I saw last year was Kinlaw's a very good run defender. But he was in and out. And initially, Armstead was playing defensive end. So when he, Kinlaw, wasn't on the field, they would have these rotations of defensive tackles where they, they were like, Kentavious Street and Kevin Givens. And I like Kevin Givens, but he's just like a slightly bigger Maurice Hurst. He's not a, a two-gapping nose tackle. They're one-gap penetrators. I, they almost lost to Detroit. They were up big. They almost lost because they couldn't stop that run, and they had to make changes. Kinlaw came back the next week or a couple weeks later. No, the next week in Philly and played a really hell of a, a really good game. So, um, yeah, Kinlaw is very important. And I think if it's not him, Ridgeway, it's got to be Ridgeway, right? And I don't even know it's if it's got to be Ridgeway. Guy. And that's yeah. a concern because I don't know if Ridgeway can do it. I haven't seen enough of Ridgeway. I guess I'll be able to be able to tell, say more about that when I see him in the preseason. But that's my biggest concern about this defense is they lost DJ Jones. Obviously, DJ got paid a boatload of cash, and I don't think they should have matched it. But man, um, it puts the onus on Kinlaw to play and to stay healthy and to play with leverage. Yeah, we'll see if he can do it. Because honestly, you say play with leverage. Uh, I haven't seen that from him. What to me, part of the reason that he would struggle in one on ones against Lake and Tomlinson is Lake and Tomlinson would be the guy playing with leverage. The way I interpret Kinlaw is every stage of his life coming to the NFL just punked people. You know, at every stage, like however he wanted to play. He's six five. He pops up. He he bullies you. And that's not going to work against the best guards in the league because they're as strong as you and they play with proper technique and leverage. And that's what I saw against uh, Tomlinson. So I think Kinlock can develop that part of his game, but not if he doesn't practice, you know, not if he's not out there every day in training camp. If he's not out there every day in training camp, he's just going to go on the field and do what he did the last few years, which was decent, but not good enough. So. He's enormously strong, and so you, you know he can. He doesn't necessarily have to play with leverage to not get moved out. Where if like if a guy like Street, who's very incredible weight room strength, but not as much functional strength, if he didn't play with leverage, you can move him. If Givens doesn't play with leverage, you can move him. If Kinlaw doesn't play with leverage, you really can't move him. Yeah. But how effective is he against the run? Is he shutting down those run holes? I mean, they lost a tremendous talent in DJ Jones. And I just don't know that it's like, he's so, he was so underrated that he may even be underrated to the Niners and they may have, they may realize who, who, what they lost this year. Uh, once the games start coming down. When I think of Kinlaw playing, I think of him jumping up to bat down passes. He does it a lot. He did it in college. And to me, that's a function of him not playing with leverage, getting sort of stonewalled and then trying to figure out a secondary way to impact the play after he's his, pass rush got shut down and he's very good at that he had the interception that one time the pick six but i'd like to see him you know like continue the pass rush be a little bit more effective in that area and not have more pass breakups than sacks i don't even i don't you know it's like i've given up on the idea that he's a pass rusher but i will say this if he just can stay healthy and on the field 
to me, that's re- I think between how the surrounding cast, how well he's coached, and if he can just stay healthy based on his gifts alone, his strength, uh, his ability to, as you said, bat down passes late in the down, I, I think he can be effective if he can just stay healthy. My thing, this is a total tangent. Um, I wish players like Kinlaw, who weren't really pass rushers, would play offensive line. There was such a, an athletic disparity between offensive linemen and defensive linemen in the NFL, and it'd be nice if some of the better athletes would play offense. I think he would be just a phenomenal guard. Imagine him pulling and blocking. I don't know. I, I, if you're just a run defender, I think there's more value to play offensive line. Why it's interesting that you're saying that. You know it's saying? interesting because, well, because like I look at Jason Poe, this kid from Mercer they drafted. He's he's like that. He's got the quickness and and tenacity of a defensive lineman, yes. and yet he's an offensive lineman. Yep. So I I agree. I agree. And some of the I'll say this. I remember one of the things I used to love to look for is the conversion. You know, show me the show me the offensive lineman who was a defensive lineman until like his junior year in, in college. And then that guy sometimes can be really, really menacing offensive line. A lot of times the best offensive linemen are like guys who used to be tight ends. Joe, Joe Staley. Yeah. Guys who were more Especially athletic. A tackle. A tackle. Yeah. You need those quick feet. I mean, frankly, my, Mike McGlinchey's kind of my he's like an old school offensive lineman. I mean, he, I, I couldn't picture him playing any other position. I would in- How about Ray, remember Ray Brown? Ray Brown started as a 217 pound, you know, whatever, and mm-hmm. tight end receiver, whatever he was, and he became a tremendous offensive interior guy. 318 I guess, pounds. I guess these five star athletes out of college think the money's in defensive line. Maybe they think it's more exciting. But look at Trent Williams. That's a hell of an athlete who made a lot of money playing offensive line. I, you might want to follow his. I don't understand why, why, why it doesn't happen. See, like every year the the disparity in terms of athleticism between O line and D line is greater. Something needs to change. Yeah. Right now, <laughs> Murphy says this year already feels like a write off slash year to get Trey experience. Then rolling the next year with twenty five million cap rolled over from Jimmy, probably smart but sucks because NFC is pretty weak this year. I agree. I do agree. And yeah. I wish they would have done this last year. Get it out of the way. I, I agree as well. I mean, how, look at the way um, they've gone about it. This year, I think, was about building depth because look what they did. They, did they, you know, they, what did they add? They had two, a couple weak spots, secondary and O-line, and they added a bunch of bodies, a bunch of bodies in the secondary, a bunch of bodies up front. I don't think that they know right now which of those guys can play and which of those guys can't, uh, but they're, they're going to put a bunch of bodies in camp and have a nice competition. It's going to be fun to watch because the competition is going to be fierce at those two spots. What's going to be interesting is the Niners are clearly in like, look, we like to see what Trey's going to do before we make any type of big moves. Let's say the Niners are like six and one. Let's say they start out hot. And they have $25 million in cap space because they cut, they cut Jimmy Garoppolo right before the season. Do they make a move? Do they go all in? Do they do the Emmanuel Sanders trade for someone else? Yeah, what move say, do you know they what? have to make? I don't know. I, I mean, who knows? There's always someone available. It's like we didn't really make the big all-in move in the offseason besides the Traverius Ward thing, but our team's better than we expected, so we're going to go for it now. I'd like to see that if they're in that position. I agree. they did it for Jimmy in 2019. I could see it. I could yeah. see it. It would take the right player being available. Yeah. Um, and, no and, and they love their cat. They love their, their picks. Yeah. 
But they also, the way they went about a free agency this year, I believe they're slated. I saw the list. I think they're slated for three or four pretty decent comp picks next year yeah. in addition to their you know regular array of picks. So they they should be fortified with picks. They got a lot of money. So I agree with that. I, if there's the right player springs free in October, I could see them being in the mix. All right. Jaquaski Tart is now with the Philadelphia Eagles. The Niners essentially seem like they made no attempt to bring him back. He played, I think, for the vet minimum last year, started a elite 14 games and, and in the playoffs, had the big drop, and the Niners pretty much said, thanks, but no thanks, we're good. Do you think that was smart or dumb? I don't think it was smart at all because, um, you know, the key, the, you know, this is a, a defense where I think Tart had a lot, a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge, a lot of versatility. You could play him at weak side backer. You could play him at strong safety. Um, I think in a pinch, he could have played free, but it's a, it's a vote of confidence for Talanoa Hufanga. It's a, it's a prioritization of special teams with the addition of George Odom. Um, other than that, you know, unless Leon O'Neill from AM or Taylor Hawkins out of San Diego State or Tarvarius Moore shows up and these guys are looking incredible, um, I think they're thin at, at safety. Uh, they're deep on the corner, they're thin at safety, and Tart knew their system and probably wanted to stay. And the price tag was mo- was moderate. And I, I think they're going to be, I think at this point, I, I think at this, this year, they're going to pick up some player. Um, on the cheap, that is a reasonable facsimile of Tart. And we're going to be asking ourselves in whatever week that is, why don't they just keep Tart? Yeah, fair. I don't have a problem with wanting to move on from Tart. He's 30. He's not like an impact player. He's not essentially particularly durable. To me, he's replaceable. The thing is, they didn't replace him. Talano was terrific. I mean, I'm not saying he's terrific. Talano was one guy, but you had both of them last year. If they had drafted a safety at any point, I'd say, okay, fair. You know what? Jaquaski, good luck. They got another guy. Even in round five, they got two safeties. If Talanoa doesn't work out, they've sort of hedged their bets. They didn't. They're all in with Talanoa and I guess the undrafted free agent, Leon O'Neill. I mean, George George Odom isn't as good as Jaquaski Tart. Had they drafted Nick Cross or any safety in the first five rounds, you could sell me on them being just as good at safety. But right now, I feel like they took a step back. It's one of those weird things because I think Hafanga is a terrific player. <clears throat> and if he plays as well as I think he can potentially play, we're not gonna we're not gonna even notice that Tart's not there. But if Hafanga gets nicked up or Hafanga has some kind of soft tissue injury and now it's George Odom and Leon O'Neill, I, I I think there's gonna be some holes in that secondary and people are gonna be asking, was was it wise to let Tart walk? I just think also they kind of, in a lot of ways, there's an awful lot of people who still to this moment blame Tart for losing that game, which is so ridiculously unfair. They had two complete offensive series after that, and they didn't get a first down in either series. That wasn't Tart's fault. I'm glad you brought that up because to me it feels like even in the organization, they're sort of scapegoating him. Like, you know, it's as simple as him making that one easy uncontested catch, and then they all would have looked differently on – their season would have been looked at differently – to me, that's an, well, that's probably, as you pointed out, it's oversimplification. It's probably flat out wrong. And also, it feels like an emotional. So you let him go because you're emotional. You're still salty about losing the game and you're incorrectly blaming one person when there's a lot of blame to be shared. You made an emotional decision. That's never good, ever. You, they He caught that or he dropped that pick on the Niners' own 35-yard line. Yeah. 
It wasn't like he he was on, they were on the five of the other team. He were, they were on their own thirty five, and they never made a first down after that. So suddenly, what they were going to get it at the thirty five and just be, they were going to they were going to rampage you know up and down the field offensively when you know I mean, it just it doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't you know it's he's not the we all saw the, the drop pick and it was a duck and he should have caught it, but that's not why they lost the game. It just feels like after that, they were so disgusted. They're like, we can't look at you. You're dead to us. And the first thing they did, one of the first things they did this offseason was sign Raymond McLeod and give him Jaquaski's number. It was like, he's so good. We, we want to close the door on that chapter right now. Uh, as opposed, I mean, that's kind of interesting to me. It's like, dude, it's over. Also, maybe it's a little bit about, um, you know, you know, sometimes it's easier for guys to ascend if the leaders in the room are no longer in the room. So maybe Tart, you know, taught an awful lot to a guy like Afonga. Now they're intent on having Afonga ascend. Maybe they felt like he wouldn't ascend with Tart in the room. I don't know. I'd, I'd have to I'd have to hear their reasoning. There are parallels between the Tart Hafunga transition and the Jimmy Garoppolo Trey Lance transition. It just strikes me that the Niners are much more gung-ho with Talanoa than they are with Trey. I mean, they say the right things with Trey, but Jimmy's still on this freaking team. So, I don't know. Maybe that's just situational as we, you know, it's, it really didn't, didn't it seem like, what was the quote from Jimmy where he's like, you know, what was, didn't he say something like, I expect this to be over? Or what did he say after he... Quick resolution. Quick resolution. Quick resolution. So that means, sounds like I, it was I a trade I, worked out. Yes, it's, it shows like I, I can throw. If there's a team that's interested, make the trade. If not, cut me. Don't hold. We'll see. I wonder, we'll see. do you think Jimmy knows where his next home is right now? Because I think he does. It, it's starting to seem like Cleveland, like it, it, everyone's put, sort of putting that together. But to me, again, a, a three dominoes have to fall before this happens. And they can all plan this, but what if the NFL surprises people and it's not a full-year suspension? That changes everything. I'd love to know. Yeah, it does. Now, all right, last topic, and it's not a Niners topic, but it is a sports topic. Draymond Green is has one of the hottest podcasts in the, in the country, uh, and he's talking his all his whole thing is new media. And I, real quick, I want to get your take on Draymond. To me, the idea of new media is h- highly um, intriguing, and I think there's a lot of people are into it. And I, the idea is people, you know, like Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless, uh, from Draymond's perspective. They don't know that much about the game, so they compensate by talking about drama and that people are tired of it and they actually want to learn about a sport and get in-depth analysis. I would think that he's right on with this because when you and I talk in-depth, people love it. When Jack Hammer and I do film breakdowns, people love it. I think there definitely is a market for like non-drama analysis-based sports talk. I think that's that's right on. What do you think? I think the uh, the two factors that make Draymond a superstar in the new media world is is um, how candid he is will he's willing to be. So he's totally candid, and he's got access. Yep. So here's Steph. Here's Andre Godala. Here's this person. If you have access and you're mm-hmm. candid, you cannot be stopped. It's true. That is true. Now all that's, I want to say is the, that's those are the two factors, and like the Skip Baylesses of the world, they're in a studio, and they're so the, the players view it as you're a sniper from above, right. and you're you know you're not down on their level, you're just taking shots at them from afar in some safe safe right. uh, studio. They resent that. Uh, then the players themselves taking ownership of it. I think that's the, also the future. They're not all going to be as candid as Draymond Green. They're not going to be as willing to be as candid, but 
they're going to have the access. The players will have better access than the media to other players. And if they are willing to be candid and they're totally confident in how they're going to you know, bring themselves forward and how they're going to distribute their message, I think they win. I think any player that's willing to be candid already has incredible access and will be a great media superstar. I think Draymond has the potential to be a great media superstar, but what kind of f- makes me feel, I think some of his stuff is inconsistent. Like he's candid, but about media people, he, re- when, when he talks about other f- basketball players, everyone's absolutely incredible. That was absolutely incredible. This guy's. I think part of new media is, you know, you're not allowed to criticize athletes if you're not a professional athlete and even other professional athletes shouldn't be criticizing each other because they're all in it together. That to me is very boring. I like the analysis, but I don't like the end, the endless praise. And then when he when he criticizes, like he's on a crusade with Kendrick Perkins. He hates Kendrick Perkins. Whatever, man. And he so to, yeah, last night I think he went on and called Kendrick Perkins a coon. Like, dude, what? That's not new media. That's not new media. That's old media. That's, that's that is very offensive and it's uh, name calling. So I feel like Draymond, you have the power to do like this new thing in in, in basketball in media, and it's working. But that's that's whack. I don't like that at all. Uh, stick to stick to like new media, not old media. I think though, I thought that was pretty whack. Well, okay, but well, let's talk about it for a second. What what is the attraction of it? It's a soap opera. Yep, that's, that's what it is. It's that's a soap true. opera. What is the NBA? Old media, the NBA. Though. You could argue that the NBA discussion on the floor is surpassed by the NBA discussion off the floor. What are guys going to do in free agency? Who likes who? Who sure. doesn't like who? Where? Who's got a vendetta against this guy or that guy? Yeah. So it's it's a combination of candid access and soap opera. Um, but I agree with you that the every player's great, but let's be super hypercritical on some random media person. You know, it's like that's tired and that will run its course, and people will see it for what it is. Last thing I want to say again, I think Draymond has a lot of potential. He could be the best, but like he talk, he's talking about new media, dude. You work for Colin Cowherd, and I heart media. That's that's as as established as it gets. Like to frankly, what Larry and I are doing right now is new media. You know, if if Draymond were doing this all on his own and he could on YouTube, that's new media. But to to, to be on Colin Cowherd's net, network and to take shots at people on ESPN, that just seems hypocritical. Like it's the same thing. You know what I'm saying? That's all I'm saying. But again, Draymond, I interviewed him one-on-one 10 years ago. He's phenomenal. He's the real deal. What he breaks down, basketball, defense, anything, I'm, I would watch that. I mean, it's it's the best. He has the best basketball analysis in the, in the world. But now he's on this, like, revenge tour after, ever since they won. Like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck <laughs> you. do that, man. Come on. You know? But it works. It works. It people like it and people fall for it. it. But, it yeah, I, 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 there was a part in the Warriors-Celtics series, Grant, where they, they kind of gave us a live mic on Marcus Smart. And he was so analytical and so cerebral and so pointed with his on-court discussion with his teammates about how to handle, you know, the, the, the pick and roll and how to defend the pick and roll um he wanted it done so specific and he was totally calm and totally but he meant what he was saying i thought that was you know guys like that who know the game cold i think there's an an, an analysis level they can get to that media people can't get to so i think people are always seeking out that 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 absolute uh wisdom but also they want someone who's candid and not everybody was willing to be draymond green and kind of wear it but if you're going to be candid you got to be 
candid all the way through. You can't just cover all your buddies and then be super right. candid about, you know, some writer. Um, right. After a while, I think see, he's new to the game. So everybody's giving him a wide berth. But if he goes fi- forward for another five years and he, every player's, you know, patting on the back and every, he's got all these media gripes and media grudges, I think it will get old. Yeah. And again, but he's awesome to listen to because he he's super candid and he's emotional and he's real. Yeah, he is. And he really dislikes Charles Barkley. That's another guy he really disrespects. Well, I don't know. Like does he Charles really dis- does he they work Maybe together not. on TNT? Maybe not. But again, he 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 criticizes uh Barkley. And I think Barkley is like a figurehead of the old media in, in Draymond's eyes. I like Charles Barkley. Because to, to me, another Barkley, guy, very candid, very smart. Two guys that yes. are candid and smart. And he will criticize players. He will praise players. But when he says something, I'm like, I'm never thinking, boy, whose pocket is Charles in? Like, who is he not trying to offend? He doesn't give a fuck. He, he'll, he'll offend you. I love that. Draymond, I don't think he's in that position. You're in the league still. You can't just – remember when Patrick Beverly went – I had those two days on ESPN where he was like, Chris Paul's trash. And da, 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 da. I was like, okay, I'm watching. And I think he got some attention and pretty much what became typical vanilla analyst. Everyone's great. I don't want – still in the league. It must be tough to the be The one that about Draymond that I loved, Grant, was Rodney Magruder. Remember, he kept yes. saying Rodney Magruder. <laughs> the way he kept yeah. saying Rodney Magruder's yeah. last name, it was just, it was awesome. It was awesome. Green is awesome. I think he's going to be the next Barkley. I really yeah. do. I think he'll be the, when Barkley, Bar, what is Barkley got? You know, two, three more years, and then Barkley's going to probably, you know, ride off into the sunset. And Draymond will be the new Barkley because he, and I think he'll get more willing to speak out on players as he gets further away from being a player because to me draymond has the ability to be the best basketball analyst ever because clearly he has the mind for it and if he's willing when he retires to actually call it like he sees it with the players and be like this was good this wasn't this was good coaching this wasn't he'll have i mean everyone will watch him if it if it looks like it's vanilla they won't as much but i think he could do it i think he could do it and I he think can be, he can play yeah. any major role he wants. He wants to be a coach. He'll be a great coach. He wants sure. to be a GM. I think he'll be a great GM. He wants to be a broadcaster. I think he could be the best broadcaster. So he's an enormous talent, man. And he's just he's like the real deal because he he's such a cerebral player. And yet he's so verbal and he's got this, you know, this attitude and swag about him. That's that's awesome. I To me, Draymond and all the people who said, oh, how could he possibly do a podcast? Well, the finals is going on like the like what what do you think these guys do all day they're they're doing something they're watching tv or who knows playing with their whatever uh you know playing video games i mean the, the fact that what he couldn't do a podcast he can't talk during the uh, finals i thought that was kind of funny just think of it as, as another press conference he did that night yeah. and what I, again the, the idea of what makes his show so attractive is I don't understand basketball the way I understand football. Like when I watch football, I can tell you why a team won, why a team lost. And that's a very complicated conversation that most, you know, fans can't actually do. I can't do it in basketball as much. And when I watch Draymond, I'm like, oh, this is what they did. And it's it's so enlightening. And anytime a big game goes out, if he did a video, this is why so-and-so, this team won, this is why the outcome was what it was, I, I would learn from it. And I think he could really make a big career just – doing stuff like that i wish he would focus his analysis more on that stuff than on settling vendettas with uh media people who slighted him at some point 
I know, but I bet you anything that like 75% of the audience is there for the vendetta talk and only like 25% of the audience, maybe you and I, but we're we're there for the analysis. He, but the vendetta talk probably is what is probably what most people, most people probably want to see him rip Perkins. It's true. It's true. But again, what I would say to Draymond is Draymond, that's old media. Yeah. You're ripping old media, but you're doing it like that's drama. You're trying to educate because what do you say? New media is educating the fans about the game. Educate them, man. You're the best at it. Please, you are the best at it. Remember Kobe tried a few a few years ago. He did that. He was like um, inside the game. I think Draymond can do it better than that. He, he, he he's, he's the point guard on offense. He's the anchor on defense. He's got the best vision of the sport. He can do it. He does it. He's, he, you know, he's a point guard. He's their point guard, yeah. basically. And he has yeah. kind of a point guard's mindset and he yeah. sees the game as a point guard. Oh, the guys, the guys, you know, uh, and, and the Warriors allow him in the in their, you know, draft room because he's got insights into personnel, into people. He, I think his he's he's got a genius to him for sure. And I, I think he's going to make a ton of money off the floor. I, I think as successful as he's been as a player, four time champ. I think he's going to be even more successful as an announcer. I think he's going to own this sport the way that Charles Barkley and Shaq do. But I mean, he's got so much more potential than Shaq. Shaq's a personality. Shaq's not there for big time analysis. Draymond's both. Draymond's everything, right? Yeah. Never. Shaq is lovable. He's Shaq lovable. is the guy yeah. who's yeah. you know has these acts of kindness and perspective, and he's he's like he's a big friendly guy. Yeah, exactly. He's a big friendly giant. Where Draymond's yeah. more like Barkley. He's going to throw more daggers. But it also, people tune in for Barkley, and they're going to tune in for Draymond. Well, Barkley has humor. When Barkley says stuff, like part of it is like, is he serious or is he saying it with a – Draymond is dead serious. You know what I mean? Like he's – I guess he has humor, but he's very, very like in your face. And I'm looking forward to that. That's a lot of fun. Because He's the one guy – he's the one guy I haven't interviewed that I'd love to is yeah. Green. Now, I wonder what he'd be like now. I mean, 10 years ago, he was phenomenal. Uh, 10 years ago, he was a backup, though. It was amazing. I was asking – because my dad told me that he called himself the, the, the leader of the bench, which I've never heard of. Uh, how can you lead from the bench? Well, he explained the whole thing in like 15 minutes. He was like – it was amazing. It, David never Lee started, and he came off the bench. Yeah, that's right. Bogut and David Lee were the, were the starting uh, front court. And the, the Warriors didn't understand for a while that Draymond Green was the, the key third piece of their big three. They didn't know. And people to this day don't want to give him his like, oh, he's just like you know, lucky and this and that, yeah. you know, all these oh, media people want to see what he would really do. Like, well, yeah, or all these, the all these Northeast media people were just convinced that he was going to he the, the Celtics fans are in his head and he's going to go south. You knew he was going to adjust. You knew he was coming back. That little kiss off the glass in game six to begin the uh, first quarter was like an announcement to the national, uh, to the media and to the crowd in Boston. You know what? I put in the reps. I, you know, um, and, you know, I, I did think it was interesting, though, that, that Kerr said, hey, Boston's crowd crossed the line. The F.U. Draymond with his kid in the stands is a little harsh when the entire crowd's chanting it. I don't know. I grew up going to A's games where people would just chant, fuck the Yankees, even if the Yankees <laughs> weren't in town. And we did it all the time. I guess, I don't know. We were mean yeah. back then. It was, rude. Yeah. it was a ruder era. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Sven says, late to the party, are we really getting Baker over Jimmy? I think Baker's going to Seattle. That's my best guess. What do you think? What happens to Baker? I like Baker. 
I like Baker in the draft, and I like Baker. I just think Baker is talked too much. His commercial to touchdown ratio is is all skewed. Yep. He's done way too many commercials. Yep. He's you know uh, he need if you put Baker Mayfield in a in a Kyle Shanahan offense with the weapons the Niners have and the genius of Kyle's you know. Uh, play action game fusion and all that. I think Baker would be a terrific quarterback. I really do. I think Baker's significantly better than Jimmy. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's like these, but he also makes 18 million and I don't know how that helps you on the cap. There's these quarterbacks that are highly drafted and then they're like busts. They don't work out, but sometimes it's because they suck Sam Darnold or sometimes it's because the organization they were drafted into sucks. And I think that could be Baker. I think he's, I don't know that he's ever going to be like a top, 10 quarterback but he might be a top 15 guy and if you put him on a good team you actually might go to a super bowl with him i mean he's more gifted than jimmy he can throw the ball down the field he's and he can spin the hell out of it he can throw it he can move uh he can he can make plays off schedule um the only thing i wonder about baker is is the maturity how mature is he can he lead can he lead the room you know, it's not a room full of kindergartners. These guys are men and they, they know fakes and they know guys who are posers and they and they they, they can smell a fake a mile away. And if he's got anything that's fake about his persona, it won't fly. But I'm just looking at his game. And I just think if you watched his game and you put his game in the Niners situation, I think he'd flourish. I think a lot of people around the league think that he made Otto Beckham look bad. He was making Odell Beckham look like he was unprofessional and lost a step or whatever. And then Odell Beckham's dad came out with all those times he was open and Baker wouldn't throw him the ball. Then he went to the Rams and really did produce. And I think a lot of people around the league are looking at him like, why do I want to play with you? You made this superstar look bad. What are you going to do with me? I think Baker does need to like take like be taken down a peg a little bit, be a backup for a while or something. Just I because he carries himself like he was made like a made man from college. Who cares that you won a Heisman Trophy? It doesn't matter. What have you done in the NFL? I think a lot of people look at him as not enough. So now he has to be uh, humbled. I don't know if it's happening. I mean, he requested a trade. Who do you think you are? How many teams really want you? One, two. And he was so broken down last year that his film sucks. I mean, like his film from this last year is terrible. I mean, he made some really bad decisions this last year, but he was playing, you know, totally beat up. I mean, he just got his butt kicked. I mean, and by the end of the year, he was he was just a shadow of what he was uh, healthy. So get healthy, get into a good offense and make sure that whatever, wherever you go next, you get it, you get it right because you're not probably not going to get a third opportunity at a starting gig. Yeah. Well, good luck, Baker. Good luck, Jimmy. Um, Those are two guys I hope to not think about in the future ever again, but we'll see. We got four weeks until training camp. This was our, this was a terrific show. Made something out of nothing on June 27th. I'm always proud when we can talk about Niners for an hour and 15 at the end of June. Thank you, Larry. Good show. Hey, thank you, man. Uh, I like the new I like the new Monday slot. It's going to be great in season, man. Absolutely. I like it, too. Thanks for watching, everyone. Make sure you subscribe to Larry. He just broke 5K. Thank you to everybody.